0: My sister is one year and eight months older than me, which I remind her on a frequent basis. And um, when we were little, we would play all kinds of different games, you know, board games and card games and all the rest. And she cheated all the time. She's not at this mass, but I'll have to be careful if she comes to the next one. But um, she did. <laughs> And one of the things when you have an older sibling you start to play different games, whatever they are, is all of a sudden they keep changing the rules. Are you familiar? Right? So the rules are, no, 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 this is the rule. No, you said that was, no, no, this is the rule. Get the instructions. Well, I can't find the instructions. Okay. So I'm going to make up the rules. So you, you know, kids do this with each other and they make up the rules. They change the rules, obviously, for, you know, and what you end up doing at a certain point is you just say, well, I don't want to play anymore, you know, because you can't play. If the rules keep changing, right, if they keep moving all over the place, you just can't play. You can't actually exercise your freedom to play the game. I mean, just imagine you know, now that baseball's kind of on our minds. Imagine that uh, each hitter that came up, you know, one hitter would get four balls and three strikes, the next one would get three and two, the next one would get eight and five, right? It would be chaos. I mean, the Rangers could have used eight and five last night, <laughs> but <laughs> shouldn't be too haughty. There's a few more games to go, but, um, but understandably, right? If, if there's no rules there, you actually can't really play the game. There's no way to thrive in playing a game like baseball, if the rules are so malleable like that, it actually breaks down uh, one's freedom to actually enter into it. Another thing uh, for me, you know, uh, music is a big part of my life. And so over the years, I've played scales and scales and sc- on the piano scale and the guitar, uh, scales and scales and chords and inversions and, you know... Um, sometimes which can be very monotonous, but until you really do that, or to the degree that you work hard on that, which are sort of rules about how to do it, it actually opens up freedom because the order and the structure brings about the freedom to be able to play without, in a a way, I mean, if you talk to musicians, you just know right? And you're you're able to play, you're able to act in freedom, just like a baseball player doesn't think about fundamentals the whole time he's playing because the fundamentals have, if you will, inhabited him. Okay. So the first point of the homily today is we should not see law and love at odds with one another. And we generally do, particularly in our culture today, but it's always a tension Right? A lot of people say, well, I don't, you know, I don't do religion because I got all those rules. Rules are everywhere. You know, uh, enter into a society that has no rules and no laws, and you have chaos, absolute chaos, which we're actually kind of seeing in different areas of our country and, and other countries as well. Right? So rules and laws themselves are meant to while in one sense they limit freedom insofar as, you know, they limit people's ability to do bad things, they also enhance freedom insofar as they protect people's ability to be free and to do good things, right? It's a good thing that people's freedom to steal is limited, for instance. When the Jews received the commandments from God, Moses goes up the mountain, gets a commandment. God says, this is how I want you to live. And that wasn't the only time he said that, but that's, you know, those are the 10 that we often remember and ought to memorize. When the Jews received the law from God, they received it as an act of love because he was telling them how to live rightly. And if they lived rightly, they would thrive. Think of this uh, with your children, right? So you're teaching your children to be honest, tell the truth, Right? Children, you probably hear that all the time. You need to tell the truth. And it's not just because we want to catch you. It's because we want you to become a person who is honest. So the rule or the law or the limitation serves a greater good, namely something virtuous. The reason why your parents give you uh, different responsibilities around the house and remind you of it and you know, how many times I got to take out the garbage? Whenever you have to, right? Well, it's not, the goal is not to make you an excellent garbage taker-outer. The goal is to teach you responsibility, right? So that with, you start with these small responsibilities, and the more faithful you are to the small ones, the better the likelihood you're going to get larger freedoms Right as you grow older. That's the whole idea. We're not trying to just teach our kids to take out the garbage. We're trying to teach them something greater, responsibility, okay? So it is with God's law. God's law, in one sense, if, if, you're, if you're kind of a dullard, you're gonna just see it as, oh, it's a limitation of my freedom. But if you see the law as, as uh, aiming toward becoming or virtue... The law actually brings about freedom. A person who is virtuous is able to do the things they want to do when they want to do it. A person who is vicious is unable to do that. They're a slave to their vice, and they can't not do it. The whole idea of virtue is we have self-mastery. So the goal then of, the, of, of the, the moral life is virtue, is becoming. It's not merely obedience. It's that we become something greater. In other words, when we get to the pearly gates and the Lord judges us, you know, let's say he were to say, okay, Deacon Richard, what did you do? You know, and Deacon Richard says, well, I didn't do a bunch of bad stuff, you know. And Jesus says, well, okay, you didn't do a bunch of bad stuff. I mean, he probably did, but but let's just pretend. (laughs) The goal of of the Christian life is not to get to heaven having not done really bad things. The goal of the Christian life is to have become like Christ. So all of the law serves becoming Right? Just like the, the rules at home, just like even rules in society, just like rules in music or sports, they all serve something greater than itself. And this is what Jesus is pointing to. Which law is the greatest? Love God with your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law aims at those two goals. The entire, all of the rules aim at that. They're not distinct. You can't have one without the other. You can't treat your brother badly and then say that you love him. No, you, there's a obedience kind of element there, right? Lovingness has actual content, which leads to my second point. So the first point, if you're taking notes, is uh, we ought not see this divergence between law and love, but rather how law serves a greater good, namely love and virtue, okay? It leads us somewhere. And if we focus merely on obedience and law and just following the rules because they're my rules, we have an inability or we're, we're negating the fruition of what we're really trying to teach our kids to do or what I'm trying to teach you to do. It just becomes about obedience, which is reductive of the goal. It's not the full story, okay. So law serves love, and love is the fulfillment of the law. My second point is this. There's many ways that we can describe love, and no doubt the most ready experience of love or immediate experience of love is emotional, right? There's that that emotional connection that we have to, to our beloved, whoever they are. That's sort of the most immediate thing. But sustained love, is action. So when God commands us to love, we might rightly wonder, well, isn't he coercing us in some fashion? Well, he's not coercing us. It would be coercion, um, you know, if, if there was sort of guilt or manipulation or something like that. He's not saying like it when I was a kid. I would be at the table for sometimes a couple of hours because my mother would say, finish the potato salad or the coleslaw. Those were the two. Can I have more milk, please? (laughs) i got to wash it down. You're going to finish it and like it. And in my mind, I thought, well, I may have to finish it, but you can't make me like it. And I, to this day, will not eat it, any of it perhaps out of protest, but I just won't even do it. The Lord is not commanding us to like everyone, which is more of an affectation, a feeling thing. He's commanding us to love. And how do we define love? Love is to seek the good of the other, to try to secure that good for the other. We're thinking of them before we're thinking of ourselves. And we're trying to bring that good about, if at all possible. It's action. All right, think about all of the things you do as a parent. There's a lot of things you probably don't like, but you do them because you love. It's the same thing as a priest. I don't like everything. Please don't be scandalized. I'm just a human being. Some things I like better than others. But I do them because I love you, because I love We all have this sort of reality in our lives in some fashion. Liking and loving are different. And loving is, of course, far more important because we do the good we know we should do because it's good for the other, regardless of how we feel about it. So as we're thinking about, okay, what does it mean to love? What I, what I really want us to focus on is, yes, there are these different elements. There is an emotive content to it. But if all we do is follow our emotions, I'll be loving when I feel loving, then, I mean, you know how the emotions are. That, that is not a relationship of love, this, no. So if we're basing our, our relationships on emotive qualities, they're going to be short-lived indeed. Love is most perfectly action, seeking the good of the other, putting our own needs and wants and likes aside to do the good for the other. Please stand.